Let's do it. All right. I'm joined by Silky Gillison and Dan George. Brian and I are here together. We're doing our final um, festive debate. Um, <laughs> the the, the last previous two have been very festive. I think, uh, you know, I think that um, this one's going to be super important. We're looking at PARP inhibition in prostate cancer with a laparib. And Silky's going to take the argument around, well, the position, not argument, we haven't started arguing yet, the position <laughs> around um, it should be for selected patients. And Silky's position is actually actually just for the BRCA population, whereas Dan is going to talk in more broad terms and said, actually, the biomarker doesn't work and we should be offering everyone therapy. Um, Silky, can I start? Because there's been some European news recently. The EMA's made a decision. It's a slightly unusual decision. Could you just mm-hmm. tell us what that decision was? Yeah, I think we were all a bit surprised. So EMA has approved um, Olaprey plus Abiratron as first-line MCRPC treatment in um, unselected patients. So I have to say, as the UK, also Switzerland is not part of the EU. And, um, and so we don't have to adapt, adapt, adapt everything. Um, so, so I was quite surprised about Obviously, it's also possible that they have already seen data that we haven't seen. So personally, I have to say that um, I find that quite surprising. And if you really look at the data, the the big benefit in RPFS, because that was what was shown at ESMO until now, um, is, is actually in the patients with the BRCA mutations, or at least with some kind of... Um, DNA repair defects. So, so I personally, for the time being, um, I wouldn't give that combination to patients who don't have a BRCA mutation or at least another mutation. We're going to come to Dan in a second, but because we're going to ask Dan to open up in the all-comer population. But just focusing on that European decision, it's CRPC, it's Alaparib um, plus Abby in the prospective randomized trial. It was a positive study for progression-free survival. There were some issues around OS, which we're obviously going to talk about. Um, where did the EMA come up with this, this chemotherapy? Was there anything in the inclusion criteria to include or exclude this population? Have we done a subset analysis in this population? Do we know what this population is? So there, there is a, a subset analysis um, for patients who had docetaxel at the um, hormone-sensitive stage. I think it was much less patients who had docetaxel. It it seemed, hmm? yeah, Yeah, it was uh, two hundred who had it versus six hundred who didn't have it. So, so it's something like that. So, so I don't have the 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 trial um, in front of my eyes. Maybe Dan, you know exact numbers, Um, but but there, you know, it didn't seem to make a big difference. Um, Why would they have gone down this route? Why would they pick something out of the air like this? Um, I mean, you said they might have seen data we haven't seen. Is that the right way to approach this? You should, you know, it, it's hard to explain to patients. You said this big randomized trial, we've done this study, it was successful, everything was going nicely. There's a big debate about the biomarker, which we're going to have today. And I think that's an important debate. But this seems to be a, a, almost a supplementary and a, a separate issue. Why would one bring a separate issue into this? I don't really know. In in reality, I have to say, I don't know how Dan sees that, but, but in reality, in Switzerland at least, a lot of patients are treated now like at the stage of hormone-sensitive disease with a novel endocrine agent. So actually maybe what we have seen in that proper study is not 
that important any longer because we don't have that many patients who we start on a novel endocrine agent as first line for MCRPC. So I don't know why they went down this route, um, but maybe some other people why, can say. Why would prior chemo affect it? I guess I just don't understand mechanistically, you know, why, why prior chemo would change, I don't know, change PARP sensitivity or change the subset that you want to give it to or not give it to. I, I don't think that they have put anything like that in their, in, in their label, to be honest. Dan, Dan, what do you think? You're, you're taking the position that PARP inhibitors are, are for all comers, that I, I suppose you believe they work better in BRCA mutated, et cetera, but that you still think there's a role for all comers. Tell us what you think. Absolutely. Yeah. No, so let's just back up for a second and remember where this whole concept came from. You know, there's a preclinical concept that, um, that, that timing matters, that, that there is a um, synthetic um, lethality that can be created uh, in the setting of androgen deprivation therapy uh, around uh, DNA repair and that, and that PARP inhibitors may work more effectively in that setting. And there's, there was pretty, pretty convincing preclinical evidence to support that. Then there was a study called Study 8, and this was a multi-institutional uh, international study of, um, you know, it was a smaller study, you know, a few hundred patients that were uh, compared of uh, starting aparadrone versus aparadrone plus olaparib. And, and Tom, this was done actually in not just the castrate resistance setting, but also the docetaxel treated setting. And in study eight, post ADT, post uh, docetaxel, patients that got abiraterone and olaparib had about a, a doubling of the progression-free survival versus those that just got uh, abiraterone. And this was in unselected patients. So, so you know, really the, the, the first evidence that there could be this sort of, you know, synthetic lethality created by the timing of these agents together in patients that aren't necessarily predisposed by having a BRCA mutation. So that was great. It was a proof of concept. People said, that's interesting. Show us again. So Propel was the confirmatory phase three study. And, you know, the, the FDA, the EMA generally requires two studies to be done for a new approval. It's just that in oncology, because of the nature of the disease, most of the time they let that go and say, look, this is a lethal disease. We need these therapies. One convincing phase three study is enough. So Propel was actually the confirmatory large convincing phase three study and set up very similar to study eight, except done in the, in the, in the earlier setting, not necessarily requiring prior docetaxel uh, in, in patients that uh, were kind of first line metastatic castration resistant. There were patients that were allowed to have AR targeted therapy uh, in uh, pathway inhibitors in the hormone sensitive setting, as long as they'd been off the drug for at least a year. And so Here's the population, uh, a larger study, an 800 patient trial now, comparing these two arms in, in unselected patients, so all comers, and a hazard ratio for an RPFS of 0.54. This was a doubling of the RPFS. This wasn't a subtle effect. And by the way, the BRCA population made up about 23% of the population. It wasn't you know, the driving overall you know, factor in, in, in this. And if you look at the Kaplan-Meier curves, they separate throughout the population. It's not driven by the small subset effect here. And, and you see this effect, you see this, you know, 50% improvement in the median progression-free survival from 16 months to, to 24 months. And by the way, that 16 month RPFS for Abby, 
That's exactly what we saw in Cougar 302. And by the way, that eight-month improvement in the RPFS, median RPFS, that's exactly what abiraterone did compared to prednisone alone. And so when I look at these results from Propel, they're really convincing to me. And yes, Tom, I absolutely believe we should be talking about biomarkers. I don't think they're irrelevant. To me, if I've got somebody that's a BRCA2 patient, I absolutely want to have this regimen done. And, and I'm going to stick with it more. I'm going to work through those toxicities and Nebian things, lower the doses, find a way to keep it going because they're BRCA2. But if, if they're not BRCA2, the data speaks for itself. And it's time for us to recognize that we need to follow the data. And the data is telling us that there is something to this timing. There's something to the combination. And we may not understand it yet, but it's our job to figure it out, not to ignore or you know, reduce the data down to what we believe it should be, but to accept it and to understand it and study it more. And there's a Talapro 2 study that, by the way, is showing a very similar effect with enzalutamide and, um, and, mm -hmm. and Talapro. So there's definitely you know, some reproducibility to these results. We don't know the results of that trial yet. That's coming out and that's that's from the press release. Am I right yes. about that? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So just for Silky, before you come, you'll come back. I just want to clarify that Europe that EMA approval. So it says that Olaparib in combination with Aberastinone and Prednisolone um, has been approved by the European Union for treatment for metastatic cancer <coughs> and prostate cancer in adult men for whom chemotherapy is not clinically indicated. Brian, so it's not the people uh, previously had chemo. It's not yes. the yeah, yeah, no. Um, Silky, can we just um, can you fire away for me? So Dan's come up with what I think is quite an eloquent argument. He's also he's talked about you know how applicable is the tissue. It's an all-comer trial. It's working well. It's a confirmatory trial. Why do you think the biomarker is important? And there's obviously this biomarker. There's the HRR biomarker, which includes a number of different um, um, DNA alterations, and then there's the BRCA more powerful driver which is obviously famous in ovarian and breast cancer do you want to talk about why you've taken the opinion that it's only really indicated in that 25 percent that BRCA population uh sorry you, you gave me that opinion i would say that i <laughs> so oh, that, that is not i've done that before in my life but I tend yeah, to yeah, I know. I do that. so so that's clear no um in that sense so i think any like the BRCA is, is very clearly the ones that, that have the biggest effect. I think we would all kind of agree on that when you look at the subgroup analysis. There seems also to be a bigger effect in the other patients who have at least a, an HRR mutation. And to, to just to, to maybe contradict Dan a bit, you know, in reality, like a lot of other trials, um, this trial has not really tested the combination versus the sequence. So we don't know how many patients um, in the placebo arm afterwards received really um, a BARP inhibitor. So I, I think we, we can't yet say that the combination is really better than, than having a single agent um, and then one after the other. So, so I guess that's, that's one point. And then, yes, so why are we doing biomarkers if we don't believe Could in you, them? Before and I, we talk about the yes. biomarker, can we just stick on that PFS yeah. issue? Yeah. There is a PFS advantage. Would you agree on that? Yes, our PFS advantage. That but is you're quite saying clear. to me that actually you can, that we may be able to salvage with subsequent uh, laparib, subsequent PARP inhibition. And so under those circumstances, is OS your endpoint or are you happy with PFS? No, I would really like to wait for the OS. As you know, that was not mature. 
there was maybe a trend, but um, it, it didn't, it wasn't significant yet, at least at the ESMO presentation. Again, I think I don't know what exactly EMO has seen and what we have seen, but in Paris in 2022, we've seen the OS um, that was not significant at that time point. So, okay, can I push you a little bit on that? For We hear this for every combo versus mock <laughs> trial. That, yes. Well, they didn't test the sequence. I mean, Okay, but you can't perfectly do those trials, right? When you try to do crossover yeah. trials, patients drop out, patients die, things happen. So I, I don't think that's the standard, right? Is in oncology we don't do that. We don't necessarily mandate that. You know, it's it's a sequential versus combo, and that's these are just the results. We've I mean, of course, we, of could, course, we'd but like Brian, that, sorry, we, we could do it if we allow crossover, right? So this is a, a kind of, I think also up to us as investigators to say we want to do trials where there is a crossover. So so then you would have at least a, a kind of a relevant proportion of patients who then get it. Yeah, okay. and I'm not arguing against crossover. I'm just saying yeah. that even in crossover trials, not everybody crosses over. Yeah, yeah, so that's clear. The data is, yeah. you know, we have the data we have. We're never going to have that trial. So. Yeah, but I still, yeah. be, I think, we, you know, because that's an option for, for patients then that we could give them, especially, you know, like in the States and also in Switzerland, not a big problem. But obviously there are countries where, you know, you can't access drugs or a lot of drugs. So it would also be kind of a... Uh, sure. nice gesture to the patients to give them if they are participating in a trial. Still keep, the good news is we're moving on. Tell me. And we're moving <laughs> on to the HRR and the biomarker issue. In the trial, it, there were three populations that were described. There was the ITT population, the HRR population, and the BRCA population. And obviously there was different there was different alpha allocations to different parts. Dan's come out and pretty eloquently, by, by anyone's standards, Dan, uh, <laughs> has come out and said that actually, you know, from him, this is actually a positive trial for PFS. PFS is a good endpoint for prostate cancer, and we should be offering it to our patients. And the, you're coming out with the BRCA story. Um, and why are you leaving behind the HRR story? Why have you gone just for that population? There's ATM and other DNA <laughs> alterations. Why, why, would you be, why would you be pursuing, you've got to, you know, why would you be pursuing that and not the slightly larger population, the HRR population? Because the effect was much bigger in the in the broker um, again status pa positive patients, but again you gave me that position. I didn't have that position <laughs> no, before. Can so can I can I can I make this can I make this clear? So because because I have to say that Olaparib at least in in Europe is um, approved for patients with BRCA mutations and not as broadly as it is approved in in the states. So we are kind of approval wise a bit kind of fixated in the broken patients but in Switzerland you we are much more open and we can also give it to other patients who have other mutations so I think I'm, I'm not so fixated on the BRCA story than on the biomarker story itself it, but anyway I think we all agree that the BRCA mutated patients are the ones that have the the biggest benefit of PARP inhibition until now at least but maybe I'm interested to hear what Brian thinks about that. About giving it to non-brachiotations. Yes, or who has the biggest benefit? Because, I mean, we all know that Olaparib has quite some toxicity, right? So you are kind of changing um, a bit of 
PFS um, in yeah. like in the non-mutated patients, let's put it that way, versus quite some toxicity in a population that's elderly and not so fit. So, so I think I'm interested to hear what what you think. I mean, I think it's as you said, it's pretty clear the BRCA mutation has the biggest benefit, and then it goes down from there into the non-BRCA and maybe then the all-comers, right? And I think, I mean, and Dan alluded to this, as with any drug, right, you're going to balance benefit and risk, right? So the good news is as you're giving the drug, you're assessing benefit and you're assessing risk. I mean, and Dan made the statement he would push a, <clears throat> excuse me, push a little harder, maybe through toxicity in somebody who's BRCA mutated because he knows they have a higher percent chance of benefit. I, I guess that's true. I mean, I think it's true for any patient, though. So I, I don't give it in an all-comer population, at least I haven't until now. Um, and I certainly have been giving it just to BRCA, you know, thinking mm-hmm. that the other mutations don't benefit as well. But I think as these new results come out and taliprone such that we're going to have to sort of reassess that that position. But but I take Dan's points about magnitude. Danny, you are actually leading this debate. So rather than Brian, we're <laughs> going to give you the opportunity to answer the question. Um, do you want to come back to Silky with that and give a little bit of pushback on some of the issues that she's come up with? Yeah. So two things I want to say. Um, one. <clears throat> On the on the the um, BRCA situation, yeah, as Brian said, I, I you know I think it's still good to know this because I think it's going to help guide how you manage a patient. Which which drug are you going to dose reduce when you're having fatigue? They both are associated with fatigue, but to me, in a BRCA two patient, probably going to dose reduce my abiraterone a little bit more because I want to keep that BRCA you know uh, that PARP inhibition going. So uh, so I think there are subtleties to this, but I think you still want to know your BRCA status going into this. At the end of the day, again, you know, I, I, I don't want to throw out this data because just because it shows us something we didn't expect or some people didn't expect. Again, this was a, a, comp, a confirmation of a prior multi-international randomized study result. And to me, I think it really does support that there's a biology here that we haven't fully explained. And just that because somebody true. doesn't have BRCA2 doesn't mean that they don't have the alteration. Now, now the... Um, Something that Silky brought up was around overall survival, that there was maybe a trend. It isn't maybe a trend, it's a real trend. And on the interim analysis, that hazard ratio was 0.86 in favor of an overall survival benefit uh, for the combination. That wasn't statistically significant. This was a secondary endpoint, an 800 patient trial. The alpha wasn't really set up to do a, a, a primary analysis for overall survival. But on a subsequent second interim analysis now, that hazard ratio has dropped down to 0.83. Let me remind you of something. Cougar 302, which is really essentially the same population we're talking about here. Um, and, and that was abiraterone against prednisone. The overall survival benefit and the final overall analysis for that study had a hazard ratio of 0.81 in favor of abiraterone prednisone over prednisone. And nobody questions it. Absolutely that is dramatic, and that was a that was enough for people to say I'm going to use abiraterone in that space. This is approaching that, and if you look at the RPFS curves again, this is immature overall survival results. We're at like 40% events. If you look at the overall you know progression-free survival curves, the bottom half of those curves are getting wider. The patients that respond to abiraterone are the ones that are getting the you know greater benefit to the addition of elaparin. It's not taking abiraterone-resistant patients and making them sensitive. It's taking abiraterone-responding patients and making it more durable. That's really the interesting thing about these findings. And to me, you know, looking at this data, understanding it, that's what we need to be t- focusing on, not 
not how can we discount this, how, we can, how can we disprove these studies? Um, Silky, has Dan has Dan hit the nail on the head, or is there a bit of voodoo in his analysis? Yeah, of, uh, of, <laughs> of course he's he's very eloquent. I have to say, um, only that at least I haven't seen the OS uh, split it for the mutated patients versus the non-mutated patients, and I think that could be interesting. And I I totally agree with Dan. You know that it it's very interesting, and and we should learn. Um, who are these patients who are non-mutated officially um, but have a benefit from the combination? The only thing I'm saying, Dan, is that maybe, and I'm quite sure about that, not all patients who are not mutated benefit. So I think our right. job should be to try to find out who are who is the subgroup of patients that are officially, let's say, non-mutated but probably have something that they really benefit from the combination so i don't really want to disregard so so i think we have to learn much better so to and and find hypothesis who are these patients who benefit from the combination without having an official mutation and i think it's only a subgroup so i think we should try to find this subgroup and not treat everyone but find out and then also we will learn a lot about the mechanism right if we we can find out about the subgroup who is who are they dan, do you and believe I, in the biomarker in anyone dan do you believe in the biomarker in anyone do you think the biomarker, no is it uh, a uh, waste of time have we gone down the wrong route is the whole no. thing for a, a fake or do, or do you believe <laughs> in the biomarker in anyone Tom, 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 don't don't put me there. No, what Silky said, what Silky said is absolutely right. I mean, this is we need to learn from these data, right? And and it's mm -hmm. like anything, whether we use chemotherapy or radio targeted pharmaceuticals, you know, that not it's not going to work in the entire population. You need to understand who it doesn't work in, and either try to make it better or or other strategies. So that that absolutely applies here too. But it doesn't mean that we, you know, discount the data because we don't understand it. So, so finding those, you know, enrichment strategies, and that's a, that's all that BRCA two is here. It's an enrichment strategy for a, a greater responsiveness, and and that's wonderful. That's what biomarkers should help us do, and they do influence our care in these individual patients, as Brian said, balancing, you know, toxicity and efficacy. So, so they, this is where the biomarkers are helpful. They're not an absolute but there are relative improvement in, in the, the effects we're seeing. And we wanna make sure we understand as much as we can about the individual patient we're treating before we treat them. And then can I ask you, because now I think the real question, at least in our countries is, because you are probably also using novel endocrine agents in the hormone sensitive stage and not only in the MCRPC stage. So the real question now is when we have a lot of these patients coming now, so you have patients treated hormone sensitive metastatic in with ADT and abiraterone. So now they progress. Are you switching? So are you adding or are you adding on the BARP inhibitor? If you really believe that the combination is better, are you adding on the BARP inhibitor in that situation or are you stopping the ABI and give something new? Yeah, it's a great question, Silky, and we don't have data on it. In fact, I can't even do any of it because it's not approved in the U.S. The FDA is taking their time while the EMA has really jumped <laughs> out on this data. Yeah, and don't criticize the FDA in our podcast, please. Thank you. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think it's a good what, question. You, you would... can't give it. You can't give it first on MCRPC. You could. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I could, you know, if I could, I mean, I think that's something we need to study. I mean, we need to understand that, but okay. probably more important to study is studying this combination in the upfront metastatic hormone sensitive setting in all comers, not just selected populations like we're doing but, now. But Dan, what about Sophie's question? You have somebody on, you know, ADT, NHT, whether it's Abby or another agent and they progress. Are you using, what, do you, what are you doing in that circumstance? Yeah, I, I, I'm not really, this doesn't really apply to that circumstance. I'm not going to do this. And I'll tell you why. Again, if you look at the data, it's not that PARP inhibitors is somehow resensitizing to the AR pathway inhibition. If they're resistant to AR pathway inhibition, there's no synergy here. You know, that, 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 that ship has sailed. You've lost that opportunity. So to me, we're moving on to, in this case, chemotherapy, docetaxel, or, you know, maybe Flavicto. Or... So then who are you using this combo in? So we actually have, still have a lot of patients that are getting hormones ADT in the setting of radiation that become resistant. We have patients that have been on intermittent ADT that are becoming resistant. Maybe they're quote unquote non-metastatic castrate resistant. But when we do scans, we're starting to see, you know, subtle signs of, of, uh, of disease progression and, and, and low volume metastatic disease. These are still good patients for this kind of a combination. So if they have metastatic disease, even relatively low volume disease, somebody I think is going to be responsive to abiraterone. That's where I like this combination. So I think we're going to, I think we can leave it there. Uh, I think this is great. Silky, we need a last sentence from you. Dan, a last sentence from you. And then I'm going to wish you both a happy festive period. <laughs> happy festive. Happy Christmas. <laughs> that's, my la that's my last thing. So <laughs> I, I want to see because the, the FDA, I, I saw, has uh, postponed the decision for another three months. So uh, I'm really, really interested to see what, the, what they're going to say. Dan. I think you trust the data. We've always had, we're scientists, the data level one evidence telling us that there's clear biologic and clinically significant benefit here. Follow the data, give your patients the best chance uh, at a long-term disease control and, and use abiraterone and, um, and propel um, and uh, treat responsibly. Does anyone want to sing a Christmas carol before we finish? <laughs> treat or are you call it? <laughs> Better not. Happy holidays, I was thinking maybe well. Jingle Bells, but I'll spare you, I'll spare you that. Listen, have a great Christmas, great festive period, everyone. See you soon. Thank you ciao. both for having us. Ciao, ciao, Tom. Ciao, ciao. Thanks.